0: It's almost here, June 21st, 2022, How Minds Change. My new book will be available everywhere and in every format, including as an audio book read by me, the person saying these words out loud right now. If you plan on getting it, pre-ordering really helps. It helps with all the charts and the algorithms and so on. It tells bookstores what to get. It puts it up there in the front page of all sorts of stuff. So, If you can pre-order it, that would be great. i will greatly appreciate it. Plus, there'll be some pre-order bonuses, including a ticket to a live Q&A, an interview with me, a link to a roundtable discussion with some of the persuasion experts featured in the book, and a few other things. There's a link in the show notes to get more information and to pre-order. So June 21st, 2022, How Minds Change. I can't wait for you to read this or listen to it. Okay. You are not so smart podcast. Here we go.
1: cool,
0: Welcome to the You are not so smart podcast. Episode 233. (laughs) You spent time with an expert on dirty medieval riddles written by monks. Please tell me more about this.
1: Oh yeah, this was... As you say, this was just a joy to find.
0: That's the voice of A.J. Jacobs, the four-time New York Times best-selling author of The Year of Living Biblically, Thanks a Thousand, It's All Relative, and The Know-It-All, and some other great books, but his new book just came out. The Puzzler is a fun, weird, refreshingly scientific book all about the human brain's fascination with puzzles. Seriously, there's all sorts of explorations in this book about neural pathways and behavioral routines, how we learn, what gets us into loops. And this is true, a few attempts to solve the puzzle of our very existence.
1: I am AJ Jacobs, and I am a journalist and author and somewhat of a human guinea pig. Well, and my I like to for my books, I like to try something out, do a quest for a year or two. Uh, So I live by all the rules of the Bible. That was one year, uh, one book. And uh, I did one where I thanked a thousand people who had anything to do with my morning cup of coffee. Uh, And I actually considered spending a year trying to change people's minds. So, uh, But you have uh, written that book, and uh, I think uh, you are the right person to do it. So I'm glad I did.
0: I love AJ, and we recently became friends, traded our new books, read them, then agreed to meet and talk about them. And after editing out most of the back and forth about mine, we did an interview about his, and that is what this episode is all about. And yes, we will go back and talk all about those dirty medieval riddles, and actually you'll get to hear one of them later on in the interview. This is A.J. Jacobs, and we're going to talk about his new book, The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever, From Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life. The year of, I remember the year of living biblically so well, I remember t- people talking about it. I remember sharing it with people. I remember this just being like uh, when I learned that you were the author of that back when we first met. I was like, oh shit, I am a super fan of this person, and didn't realize I, that I was. This is the th- that book was so cool. How did you before we get into this? I'm sure you did a thousand interviews about it. What's been like the Like lineage of this for you. What's been like the after effects? Like, I'm sure people still talk to you about it, like I'm doing right now. Is it still kind of part of your life? Because it's a crazy, super cool idea.
1: I love, and I love that it's a part of my life, and I still think about it every day. and And the lessons I learned, and and just for those who don't know it, uh, very quickly, it was my. I, I grew up with no religion at all, but I wanted to learn about it, so I wanted to. I thought, why not try to learn by doing? So I tried to follow as literally as possible, every rule in the Bible. So that meant the 10 commandments and love your neighbor, but it also meant the hundreds of rules that you don't hear about as much. You can't shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were. So I had a huge, I looked like uh, Gandalf. Uh, there was uh, uh, you can't wear clothes made of two different kinds of fabric. Uh, so I had to get rid of poly cotton sweaters. There was, you have to stone adulterers. So I tried that with, I used very small stones like pebbles. So I didn't go to jail, but that was the premise. And it was fascinating because a lot, I guess there are two, there are two big lessons. Uh, and I'll just make them really quick. One was don't follow the Bible. Literally. Uh, that's a very important lesson, Mm uh, because there are millions of people in America who say they follow the Bible literally and i was trying to be the ultimate fundamentalist and show them the absurdity of this position second uh there even though i'm not religious in the believing in god sense i do think religion has some amazing benefits the community the um acting the rituals acting in a uh, uh, an ethical way and so uh, it did change my life in that i uh, uh, it, for instance, introduced me to gratitude. That was a big part of the Bible, so that actually spawned my book, which I wrote a book, whole book about gratitude. So it definitely changed my life in dozens of ways.
0: Wow, that's so rad! I, I feel you completely. Like I didn't know how much writing, like when I was like, I really want to actually understand this. It was crazy how much I changed through that process and how wrong I felt about a lot of things that I thought I knew going in. Let me get in here with this book that you've written. Uh, the first thing I want to ask about is simply, have you ever played The Witness or do you know about it?
1: I have played it. I play it with my son. We haven't finished it, but I love it. It's great. It's a great game. It's a great computer game. You're
0: a fan? So I'm a super fan. And I I was playing it, and it just so happened I was playing it r- when I was reading a book about pedagogy and the history of, of learning and the history of teaching and and. I was so struck by how one of the things, like your your greatest opponent in The Witness is your bias and your assumption that you've already figured out how the puzzles work. Mm-hmm. And because really you're learning new languages as you go. And it the when you get stuck, it's because you refuse to give up your preconceived notion as to how the puzzles work so far. Right. And, and you start to slowly expand and understand and move into this space where you once you sort of give up that way of thinking and it sort of gives you a couple of chances to do that, you start doing a a better job of playing the game. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was one of the coolest things. Plus it also has a James Burke, uh, video, which is, I'm a super (laughs) fan of James Burke. So blew me away.
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, that is one of the, the keys to puzzles and the keys to my book is it's all about cognitive flexibility and not falling in love with your hypothesis. Another thing I love about the the um, the witness is that a lot of the puzzles you take two different ideas, two different platforms, and combine them, and that to me is one of the keys to creative thinking. So noticing that the branches are arranged in the uh, branches on the tree are arranged in the same way as the maze, and that's your aha moment, that's your dopamine. So to me, that is. I love that. I love anything where two different ideas combine and have this
0: yeah. love affair. And the other thing I thought reading uh, the, the Puzzler was that uh, you have to have uh, been like, damn, this Wordle thing kicked in right as this book's already, this, <laughs> this book's already been written. Well, how do, what do you feel about the whole Wordle thing going on right now?
1: Well, first of all, I did get Wordle into the book. The book had closed. And we open it back up, and I literally inserted the word Wordle. So it says, <laughs> <laughs> it says, "It says truthfully." At night, I do the New York Times crossword and Wordle, so that's the Wordle coverage. But I am a he. I, I think it's all good. I mean, it's it, uh, it was just another example of of puzzles uh, taking off, and I am a fan. I'm not. I'm not obsessed with it, like I'm obsessed with the spelling bee in the New York Times, but I do like it. I think it's a, a great puzzle. And I think there are two things I like about it, especially one is all of the spin-offs I thought were hilarious. And what a delightful example of human creativity, because you had Loodle, where it was always naughty words like boner. Um, there's for Taylor Swift fans, there was Tay which is uh, you had to find words related to Taylor Swift, like her ex-boyfriend, Mayor, John Mayer. Uh, so I love the creativity. And I also loved that it did seem on Twitter, it was one of the few things that both sides of the culture war seemed to agree on. You know, it was it was just a nice break from the the usual Twitter fair on my feed, which is, outrage, vitriol, uninformed opinion, uh, things like that. So just, you know, these these harmless red, I mean, uh, green and yellow squares were a, a welcome break.
0: Yeah, it plays right into your, to your thesis, I think. Uh, I'm quoting right from your book, puzzles are not a waste of time. Doing puzzles can make us better thinkers, more creative, more incisive, more persistent. And you talk about this nudging us all into the puzzle mindset. And I like this, a mindset of ceaseless curiosity about Everything in the world. Tell me a little bit about this grand thesis, and was that what what you had going in, or did it develop over time? And while you were making, while you were writing the book,
1: I'd say I had an inkling of it going in because I've always seen the world as a series of puzzles. Uh, so the Year of Living Biblically was about the puzzle of religion, uh, but it definitely expanded. and And so when I wrote the book, I wanted it to be a combination of memoir going on these crazy adventures like the jigsaw world jigsaw puzzle tournament, um, history, science, uh, and, and how to solve pu- and puzzles themselves, of course, like historical puzzles. But I also wanted this to get across this grand thesis that the puzzle mindset that basically it's an ode to curiosity. Mm. Uh, it's all about how, um, I heard this phrase from a child psychologist when about raising kids, don't get furious, get curious. (laughs) And I, I loved it, not just because it rhymes, but because (laughs) I do think it's true. And I think this relates to uh, your work where when I am talking to someone who's on the other side of the political spectrum, uh, you know, say a Trump supporter, instead of seeing, framing it as a debate, frame it as a puzzle. What is it you really disagree on? What is it? What can you say or what evidence can you produce that might change their minds? Or is there nothing? That's another solution to the puzzle. So uh, to me, that is the overarching thesis, curiosity, solution oriented, creative thinking. Those are all in
0: puzzles. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. Trying to convince the other person they're right and you're wrong or the other way around uh, is, is a completely different framing and mindset than saying, okay, we have a mystery in front of us. And the mystery is, why do we disagree? And if, let's work together to solve why we disagree. Uh, it plays more into our strengths. As long as we can trust each other, we can get the get something out of disagreeing. So, yeah, it's 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 an amazing how much overlap there is. I am gonna skip skip around because I want to get to some of the overlap. I like this part where you have a bit of the book. You introduce us to some fun stuff before you get into the the nitty gritty, which is the why do we like puzzles so much, sir?
1: Uh, well, they're I think we are wired to solve puzzles. It gives us that hit of dopamine. And uh, I think it makes sense uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, because coming up with innovative, you know, you look at uh, monkeys, if you consider them, uh, the puzzle is how to get the termites out of the mound. Mm -hmm. In fact, there are even, uh, I read a fascinating article recently about slime molds can solve mazes if the, there is food at the end. So that's one, you can consider that a puzzle, you know, slime molds puzzle. So it is, it is sort of the, what we're wired to do is, is come up with innovative ideas that will achieve our goals. And those goals could be just getting food or they could be, uh, you know, finding the MRNA vaccine, uh, and and puzzles are sort of practice for that. That's the way the psychologists and scientists I talked to framed it. Uh, and and I just love it. I am a I am a big fan. It's also nice because in life, uh, often you will not have that one single answer that's the perfect answer. You'll have a bunch of solutions. Some are better than others, and you have to figure out which is the best. Uh, Whereas in many puzzles, you do get that one perfect (laughs) solution, and that is very satisfying.
0: And now we take a break from our program for a word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm very proud to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. I was using BetterHelp before they became a sponsor, and I was very excited to learn that they wanted to sponsor this program. I have recommended BetterHelp to people. I know people right now who I've recently onboarded. I had a friend who had a really difficult medical event and was experiencing a completely new range of anxieties and feelings and concerns, and I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before, and this helped. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time and the question is time for what if our time was unlimited how would you use it and the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing what is important to you what is that thing that deserves to take that slot that precious time how do you make that a priority Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you will get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do that several times and really lock in with a therapist that is able to generate with you that dynamic that's so important. I believe you should be in therapy. I believe everyone should be in therapy for a period of time at least in their lives to sort this out. What's important to you? How do you make it work? And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month That's betterhelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S. So you want to make better decisions and you have a business. You have a business and you want to make better decisions in that business. You need some sort of key performance indicators, a system for measuring what you're up to, what you're doing. Measurable values that demonstrate how effectively your company is achieving your key business objectives. That's a KPI. And I have a recommendation for you. It's called NetSuite. You should be using NetSuite. Here's here's why. So your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Every business that's doing well, even if it's just starting to kind of do well, it'll start to form some fissures here and there. Things you used to do in a day will start taking a week, and you'll have all sorts of manual processes that just there's too many. You can't get to everything, and you don't have one source of truth to make sense of it all, to make those better decisions. If that's you, you should know about three numbers. These are three numbers you should know 25, and 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. That's a big number, 37,000. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streaming accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more, 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. 25, 25 years? 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs, And one, because your business is one of a kind. You don't want some sort of operation or app that's just made for whoever comes along. No, you get a customized solution for creating those KPIs that you need. One efficient system with one source of truth made for one business, your business. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one Place. When you have everything you need in one place, all these biases, all these fallacies that I talk about on this program, it's an incredible way to apply everything you learn about making better decisions by having one source from which to pull your evidence, your information. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance for nothing, absolutely free. You just go to netsuite.com slash not so smart. You get it for free. That's netsuite.com slash not so smart to get your own KPI checklist. One more time, netsuite.com slash not so smart. And now we return to our program. You talk about this Japanese puzzle maker. Uh, I'm sure I'll pronounce this incorrectly. I'll allow you to pronounce it. Is it Maki Kaji? Kaji?
1: That's what I say, and I'm sure I mispronounce it too.
0: He has this nice symbol, uh, question mark, arrow, exclamation point, bafflement wrestling solution. I dig that for a million different reasons, but one of the things I love most is you talk about this in the book, often the moment that, that this is what compels me about video games, board games, puzzle games, anything where... I want, I have to, I'm entering into a world where I have to understand the rules of the world. And once I kind of have an understanding of the rules of the world, I have to solve a puzzle using the rules of the world. And, but there's still another level of insight that takes place when you realize that you thought you understood how things worked based off of your previous experiences, but that was getting in your way of actually solving, getting to the solution. And that epiphany where you talk about this sort of sudden shift in paradigm takes place I dig that more than anything. I think that is the coolest thing. I love that you wrote about that in the book. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on, that, on just that that moment of insight that takes place when you go, oh, this actually isn't what I thought it was. It's something else. And now I get it.
1: Right. That is my favorite feeling. And I think that's that's at the core of many great ideas in, in business and science and medicine. And and the puzzles are sort of a platonic um, Uh, uh, you know, they they take that idea and boil it down. So the example I give in the book is uh, the difference between problems and puzzles. So a problem might be something like 25 minus 5 equals what? Equals 20. Um, But a puzzle might be something like 33 plus 3 equals 30. Now move one digit in that equation to make it correct. And what you have to do is you have to, to use the cliche, think outside of the box. And of course, the cliche is originally from a puzzle where you had nine dots and you had to connect them in four lines and you had to go outside the box. And... So for this one, the answer, since you read the book, you might know, but you take a, you take one. It made me mad. It made me mad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is you one to, good emotion. You have to make yeah.
0: it a, a, it has to cube it. You have to move the three into the cubing position, right?
1: Right. So you move the three up and it becomes three to the third, which is 27 plus three equals 30. So 27 plus three equals 30. And that's just not something that would immediately occur to you. No,
0: I'm setting you up to. To nerd out on things, uh, that fits perfectly into when I learned about assimilation and accommodation. That's what's happening. Like you, you know, a child sees a dog for the first time and they categorize it as on four legs, furry, has tail, non-human. And then they see a horse and they say, "Look, a dog!" And you go, "No, not not a dog. That's a horse." They have to, ex- they really have to literally expand their mind and create a new category in w- called animals in which those two categories fit. And that's, you know, thinking outside the box. Accommodation is accommodating the new information so that you may now understand it instead of trying to force it into your previous way of seeing the world in the, that puzzle. That's what you have to do. Like I was like, I've never had a puzzle where I had to cube anything. So I will not choose that option. It doesn't seem like (laughs) that's, that's outside. That seems outside of what I'm allowed to do in this. And then when you see the solution, you're like, ah, but now if I was to face another problem like that, that would be an option for me because I've now accommodated this. And that's essential to how we learn everything. And I feel like you have a lot of uh, different hypotheses in the book about why puzzles are so exciting, but I know that underneath all of them, it feels like at the neurological level, that must be part of it. I'm wondering if you're in the same headspace as me there.
1: Absolutely. I mean, all about, I think, um, without curiosity, we wouldn't have evolved to what we are because we were curious about how to do new things. And of course, like everything, curiosity is a double-edged sword. So, you know, there are uh, perhaps uh, downsides to being too curious, uh, like maybe the gain-of-function labs that are experimenting with, with viruses, maybe that's a downside of curiosity. But overall, curiosity is what has brought all the great, uh, achievements that humans have. And there's actually a quote I love. I don't even think I put it in the book, but I once interviewed the late, great Alex Trebek for a magazine. Yes. And he said, uh, a quote that kind of doesn't make sense, but it also makes a lot of sense. He said, I'm curious about everything, even those things that don't interest me. Mm. Uh, so, uh, I thought that was lovely because, uh, That's me too. I am curious about everything. And these puzzles, I satisfied my curiosity on several levels. Because on one level, solving the puzzles is about curiosity. But also these people that I met, these subcultures, because I go through 15 different types, the genres of puzzles. So from the Japanese puzzle boxes you mentioned, um, Sudoku, chess, crosswords, each one has their own amazing, fascinating subculture that just, I just reveled in immersing myself in each of these. And that was great for my curiosity.
0: I want to talk about your adventures next, but uh, before we bounce out of talking about some of this uh, really deep inside what puzzles do to our bodies and brains and cultures, you outline all these different things that sort of are different reasons. and They're probably all combined to be like, they probably are all true. What is the peacock theory though?
1: Peacock theory is the idea that you—it's a way to show off.
0: <laughs> yeah, because Wordle has that plug. Right. It's almost like they designed it using your your like list here, because there's that moment where you can go, look at me, I did it in two. Exactly,
1: and the same with the spelling bee or crosswords—you can share your time and uh, and so the idea is sort of showing off. And and actually, one of the funniest anecdotes I think I ran across was. When I was interviewing escape room uh, owners, and apparently almost every escape room has this guy, this guy who comes in almost every week and with a different woman. And he pretends it's his first time at the escape (laughs) room. (laughs) So he's showing off like this is his way to like, but I can do Sudoku sudoku, and I can, uh, you know, I know the native alphabet. So. And doesn't that make me sexually attractive? And I guess, I guess it works enough that <laughs> he keeps coming back. So that's the peacock theory.
0: Wow. That's like, that's the best example I could think of that. The man is really attempting to peacock <laughs> using escape <Exactly>.
1: rooms. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: And I can tell you, like it plays into what we were talking about earlier. Like my worst experience in an escape room was when we all got convinced that we understood what was the issue and we what we we understood what we were trying to solve. And it was our certainty that we had already figured it out that burned all of our time up. We just weren't willing to admit that maybe there's another way to look at the problem. And I just think that's if we had, had enough time, there would have been this epiphanous moment of like, oh no, it's the other way. Well that's it.
1: That is the that's the evil is certainty. And uh, you know, I'm with you on the epistemic humility. And and I saw this too in the maize world. Cause I went to the hardest maze in the world, which was in Vermont, uh, it's hardest corn maze. And the, the owner is just delightfully sadistic and says thing he's, he's proud that people burst into tears and, and a father abandoned his kids and wife. Cause he was so frustrated and just drove off in a, in, a, in the car. So it's very hard and it takes hours, like four or five hours. Um, But he says he looks at the people. He stands on sort of a platform so he can see it. And he says, especially um, young men, which is not that surprising, will go down an alley and it's a dead end. They'll go back and then they'll keep going down that same alley, (laughs) like just convinced it's got to be this way because they have a hypothesis that they fell in love with and they are refusing to give it up. So it's just like you in the escape room. And that is the enemy of solving puzzles in the real world and solving puzzles. Uh, sort of the play puzzles that that I talk about.
0: I want to talk, I'm going to ask you about some of these adventures you went on and then get into some of these uh, beautiful insights. You went on too many adventures to talk about in one interview. So I'm just going to ask you about a few of them. One is I had no idea there was even such a thing as a jigsaw puzzle championship. And little, and not only that, they do it in Spain and not only did you go to it, you came in second to last. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did. Tell me all about this adventure
1: this was one of my favorite adventures. So uh, I actually was not a huge jigsaw puzzle fan. I saw them as uh, maybe too simplistic. I was snobby. Uh, I was wrong. I was wrong. They There are fascinating jigsaw puzzles that are really stretch the definition of jigsaws. But also while researching, I saw this uh, World Jigsaw Puzzle Championship in Spain, and all of these countries had signed up, like Germany and Mexico, and New Zealand, and Uh, no US. So I thought, all right, well, I'll send in an application and they'll probably make me go through a rigorous trial. Uh, But nope, they send me an email the next day. Well, you are Team USA because no one else is. So we went over there and we did train, but compared to these people, you know, I love that whatever the activity, you're going to have people who train all the time, the little LeBron James of whatever Activity it is, even if it seems incredibly silly to us, are just a joy to watch. Uh, so I loved going there and seeing forty different teams. You had eight hours to solve four big puzzles, um, and they were, uh, you know, safaris. They were usual Ravensburger puzzles. Uh, yeah, and we came, we we tanked, we embarrassed our country. <laughs> we were just a, it was a disaster. Second to last, the people who won were um, were Russians. Uh, I was the Russian team and uh, there were doping rumors, but I did, I feel that that was, uh, and by the way, I did, I am very proud because in the book, I, I say that I hate Vladimir Putin and I wrote it like months (laughs) before. So I I, I say, I hate him, but this was like a nice example of jigsaw diplomacy. Like these were real people Mm. and you got to like in your book, you got to see them face to face and see that they're human and uh so uh but anyway it was fascinating to see uh first of all just the level of skill but also the different strategies because again it's all about meta strategy mm-hmm. and and looking stepping back that was one of my lessons don't dive into a puzzle or a problem pause step back and say Is there a better way to do this? And in this case, if you're faced with that awful blue sky, a lot of these professional jigsaw people will separate them by shape instead of color. So you have 100 blue pieces. You separate them by, here's one with three innies and two and one outie. And that way, they're able to assemble it more quickly.
0: This is so cool. My parents, uh, their COVID activity, they got into jigsaw puzzles. And they, uh, I would visit them. They live in rural Mississippi, and they eventually got bought some of those cheap folding tables and, and filled their entire living room with them. And were just doing <laughs> jigsaw puzzles all day long. They weren't watching TV or movies. They were jigsawing all day. And I bought them some, and I remember them, them saying, "Thanks, but these aren't really hard enough for us anymore."
1: <laughs> Good for them.
0: I like it. Like bouncing off what you're saying, that's uh, there's a there's in psychology there's that whole idea of. Uh, the lateral application of things you've learned in different spaces. I think it's an old Jungian concept of when you learn how to play a game, you don't just learn the rules of the game, you learn the games have rules. And getting, you would think that getting good at jigsaw puzzles just makes you better at playing jigsaw puzzles. But the strategies of how to properly apply different aspects of that world to solving the problem become something you can apply to other problems you might face. Like it's the strategy of problem solving that you're learning as much as you are the jigsaw thing. And you talk about that in the book over and over again.
1: Yeah, I do believe the, the ability, as I say, to choose between strategies and be thoughtful about strategies, those can apply to real life. And I will give you one other example of a, this was a more literal example of a lesson that I took away from jigsaws, which is that um, I interviewed one of the top jigsaw puzzle solvers uh, who told me that when you are faced with a sky, an, another trick is that usually the sky is not the same color blue. it will it will be light blue, and it'll sort of shade into dark blue. Mm. and And she even uses an app that has different <laughs> uh, different colors to like train her eye to see it. and i I told my kids it was a little bit of a literal translation. I said, you know, this proves that nothing is black and white. Nothing is all blue. It's all about shades. It's all about nuances. And uh, and and of course, I I don't think they uh, listened at all. uh, Maybe it's it's sunk in deep in their brain and it'll cop out.
0: But they'll they'll remember it in the 30s. I promise.
1: (laughs) I put it in the book, so they now if they ever read the book, then it's right there. But uh, but it's a lot. It's similar to what you talk about. You know, nuance, nuance, nuance. It's you know this idea that everything is black and white is
0: such a. No, uh, dangerous. It's, appe- it's appealing when you think you're on the right side of anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, you got to go Bayesian if you're going to get out of that, which is not something we like and not something we would prefer to do. There's this other adventure you went on that is amazing to me. You went to the CIA headquarters in Langley to see one of the greatest unsolved puzzles in the world. What is the CIA working on? What's the puzzle they're trying to get at? And what did you see when you went?
1: Well, it was, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it took me months to get permission, but I finally got permission to go in and go to the headquarters in Langley, which are beautiful, by the way. uh, And they have what is considered one of the great unsolved puzzles of the world. And it's called Cryptos. And you can Google it, K-R-Y-P-T-O-S. And it's this huge sculpture. uh, It's a metal wall with thousands of letters on it. Uh, arranged in a seemingly random order. Uh, But it turns out it's a code. And it was created by a sculptor about over 30 years ago, along with a CIA cryptographer. And what's amazing is it's been there 30 years, and no one has decoded the entire code, not even the CIA, which (laughs) is. Maybe concerning.
0: I'm thinking about all the afternoons that CIA operatives have spent, like <laughs> instead of Wordle, they're working on this when they should be doing their emails. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly, but they um, people have solved parts of it. So there are passages that have been decoded, and and one of them is a, a a quote from the guy who discovered King Tut's tomb. Another is this: it seems that there might be a treasure buried on the on the grounds of the CIA. Uh, but it is fascinating. So, I got into this group of obsessives, thousands of them all around the world who just spend their time trying to decode it's only 97 letters that are left, but trying to decode this message. And I will say, I guess one of the big takeaways from this adventure was was just the I was in awe of the grit of this community who are. They are still at it 32 years later. And I'll help my kid with a, a math homework. And after two minutes, I want to give up. So I try to remind himself and me that uh, that these people, you know, they put in 30 years. I can put in another couple of minutes.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you think with like the crowdsourcing of the Internet that cryptos would, would have been like completely solved by now but I, I guess i guess this sculptor really went for it oh yeah
1: no he's he's a crafty and he he delights in torturing people and mm. and you can guess at the answer Uh but he charges 50 dollars to tell you whether you're right or uh, wrong
0: that's great that's like back in the old uh putting click adventure days we have to call a 900 number to get a clue <laughs> <laughs> that's great um yeah you this is beautiful uh You talk to I love that they're I love their experts on things like this. You spent time with an expert on dirty medieval riddles written by monks. Please tell me more about this.
1: Oh yeah, this was as you say. This was just a joy to find the the little subcultures, you know, and I, they, during my Bible year, it was also the same The people who are like obsessed with the seven string harp that was mentioned once in the Bible and have devoted their lives to making mm. harps. Um, but this one is yes, a woman who, uh, and not just one woman, the like dozens of scholars who are obsessed with these medieval riddles that were written by monks. So you'd think that they would be nice and innocent, but they're actually, many are quite naughty. So wait, can I read you one really Please. quickly? All right, you ready? I just have it. Okay, what is this? What am I? My stem is erect. I stand up in bed, hairy down below. An attractive peasant's daughter grips me and attacks me in my redness, plunders my head and feels my encounter directly. This woman with braided hair gets her eye wet.
0: <laughs> I feel I feel like the trick of this is that it's a, some kind of fruit they bit into and it juiced their face but I don't know what is it Well
1: yes it is it is an onion Okay um, there it is my mind went a little more Sure uh, <laughs> are x rayed and that was the beauty of these monks is that they could blame it on you they could sort of subvert their uh, and, and put the blame on oh it's your dirty mind not ours we're just talking about onions uh but i do love um i love the fact that they exist and and this is actually the more philosophical musings about this was this was one of about a hundred famous medieval po- uh, riddles in this book, and there's no answer sheet. So this one is clear. What's going on? It's an onion. But there were several others that there is no answer to, and so there are these scholars that s- spend endless hours debating. You know, is this uh, a team of horses? Is it a is it a bucket? Is it an arrow? And Uh, maybe this is the most ridiculous use of human
0: mental energy ever,
1: but it's also quite, um, heroic in a way.
0: I, I think you said that, um, someone, some people have gone, and I think I'm using your words here. Someone, people have gone insane trying, when they get locked in, there are certain stories from the puzzle world of, of a puzzle that took over people's lives to the point that it possibly drove them mad. Am I on the right? Am I right here? You are.
1: Yes. This was actually a modern puzzle, not a medieval okay, puzzle. Okay. Okay. I interviewed, I I delved a little into this puzzle called the sleeping beauty problem, which I won't get into because it's a little complicated, but.
0: It, I'm, I'm going to Google it just so I have no, what you're talking about. Go ahead.
1: It's sort of a cousin of the, um, the Monty Hall problem. Uh-huh. Do you know the Monty Hall?
0: I, re- I remember spending a week trying to understand that so I could tell people what it meant. Yes.
1: <laughs> exactly so that one is complicated this one is like the monty hall problem to the nth degree and it has to do with oh,
0: uh why did you tell me about sleeping this? i know well that <laughs> this is a this is like rocco's basilisk but it's a puzzle yes
1: that's exact that's good i should have used that in there uh, i compared it to um monty python where they had that joke that was so dangerous it kill you you laughed so hard mm-hmm. and and it has to do with probability and you you wake up sleeping beauty and you flip a coin and they based on the coin, you do other things. But what I, when I interviewed people, uh, one mathematician is an expert on it. And he is, he, he talks about there were 100 philosophical papers in real philosophy journals, all about the sleeping beauty problem. And what is the answer? And it's still up for debate that no one's quite sure there's, groups called the thirders and the halfers, and then the Lewisian halfers. And and it gets into quantum mechanics and alternate worlds. Uh, and uh, I, lo- I I did interview a guy who I felt quite guilty because he had spent two years wrestling with the sleeping beauty problem. And he would sit in his living room and stare at the wall. And his wife got concerned and said, Stop staring at the wall you're freaking me out. Hmm. Uh and uh finally after 2 years he he decided all right this is not good for my mental health I'm going to put it aside and put it in the closet and then I called and I was like hey I uh, want to talk about
0: this. <laughs> I felt like a bartender who would just here yeah, just one toke you it's you know we've been drinking yeah. have have a cigarette. Uh <laughs> But he
1: did say he did say he felt like, um, it was a relief to talk to someone about it. I, uh, you know, I think his family had been, had had enough. So, yeah. so I fell and I sent him the chapter. I was really quite concerned. I didn't want to like send him into a spiral. I sent him the chapter and he was fine with it. So that's, wow,
0: I get it. I mean, I think I get it. I know how dangerous it is to get locked into trying to get in. Once you get into something deeply philosophical and puzzling, I remember uh, in the movie Zodiac, they played up the fact that he he started to become too obsessed with trying to solve the the, the cryptography of it, the mystery of it. And his life started to fall apart around him. Like his the books, the books started to, to pile up in his room and he started to not take care of his health. Cause he's like, I have to, I, I'm so close. I can do it. Uh, right. I, as a person who's super obsessed with puzzling, how, how do you avoid this scenario? Well, I would say you
1: remember the Japanese puzzle maker with the, um, Uh, the question mark and the arrow and the exclamation point. And he drew that and then said, the key is you've got to love the arrow. Mm. You've got to, you know, to use the cliche, you got to love the journey, not just the destination. And so, uh, uh, it's hard. It is hard because sometimes we really want that exclamation point. But, uh, but I think that I reached a point where sometimes I really can just love the process of solving it. And, and at the end of the book, I actually helped create a puzzle that literally cannot be solved. (laughs) So you have to enjoy the process. It's a, it's, uh, something called a generation puzzle. It's a mechanical puzzle where you have to twist little pegs to try to get a metal rod out. But the key is it, um, it's an exponential problem. So you have to twist the pegs so many times that if you do it one time per second, the universe will literally end. It will <laughs> run out of energy before you solve this puzzle.
0: So it is a it is technically possible if we had infinite, um, an infinite amount of time to twist the, oh, yeah. the knobs? I,
1: exactly. It's okay. 1.2 decillion moves. That's what it'll take. Which is one with I believe it's thirty-three zeros after thirty-three digits after it. So yes, technically it could be solved, but uh, we just don't have the
0: time. That is amazing. I like that. That's a great that is a great super lesson. <laughs> I want to mention crosswords before I ask you about some of these big takeaways. You open up with crosswords and I didn't know about the history of this, but my favorite thing about it was well, there are two things. One was that the the first crossword puzzles kind of suck. They do. But all but you you make the analogy with uh but also, pong kind of sucks, so it's a chance yeah. to just see the evolution of the format. I think that's neat. But the thing that uh, I love most is that uh, these con- these came out around ni- early, like nineteen thirteen ish, and they were considered an evil vice. That's my favorite thing about it. They thought this is gonna ruin the children's right. minds. This is uh This is
1: so funny. This it shouldn't be so in our fun.
0: newspapers. It's like putting a video game in, in your in, in, the, in the middle in the middle of your news report. This is bad for all of us. What are you doing right. with these filthy crossword puzzles? I love that.
1: It was yeah, the video games of the day, or you go back when books were first introduced, they were evil. Um, but the and the New York Times especially refused to print them for the first 20, 30 years that they were around. Uh, and if you search crosswords in the times, it's hilarious because there are all these articles about how evil it is, how it's ruining marriages. People are murdering each other. They're ruining your eyesight. There are literal prison riots you can read about. So, um, Yes, everything is is a vice until people realize, oh, this is actually
0: fast forward to today and in the New York Times is like, what's this wordle thing? I'll buy that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Now. Yeah, it's such a it's such a fascinating story because they are literally considered sort of the the font of great puzzles now. But they rejected them for 30 years.
0: You there were some takeaways right away with crosswords that I liked. One was uh you had four sort of rules for life that you learn. Uh, getting good at crosswords. One was the first one was finding your toehold. I dig that so much. Like, you know, you don't necessarily have to solve it from solve number one before you go to number two, like find the thing that makes sense and then work out from there. Uh, I love that. That's really cool. It's applicable to everything you're trying to do in life.
1: Yeah, that is when you were hit with the Saturday New York times, which is the hardest I'll look and I'll, I'll only see one clue that I know, but, that's all you need. You need that little toehold. And I, as you say, the same with life. And when I talk to the people who spend their life decoding ciphers, like the cryptos, that is a big one. you got it. They use a lot of violent imagery. They say, they talk about the attack and finding the weak spot. And the weak spot is usually has to do with the frequency of letters. Like E is more frequent than X in uh, in the English language. So yeah, it's all about finding that one little way in and then crowbarring your way into solving the puzzle.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, let me talk about some of the bigger takeaways from the book. And I, I hope it's apparent to anyone listening that you should get this. It's a great book. Not only do you have all these uh, insights into human psychology and the and just the nature of what it means to be a floundering, stumbling, fumbling, <laughs> sentient entity, hurling through space, trying to understand what the hell's going on. It also, uh, you have puzzles in the book. I mean, it's, it's, you have tons of different games and puzzles all throughout the book for some of them are for for illustration purposes. Some of them are just for the purpose of, Hey, you read a book about puzzles. Here's some puzzles you might enjoy. I think that's grand. Thank you for doing that. Thank
1: you. Thank you, David. And by the way, there is also a contest, a secret hidden. Oh, I was going to say that for last. Go ahead. Drop it on everybody. Drop it now. Oh, Yeah, well, I figure one of my favorite books growing up was called Masquerade, which was a picture book, which had a uh, clues to a secret treasure hidden somewhere in the UK. And it actually caused like a madness. You know, thousands (laughs) of people were digging up yards and trespassing and waking the author up at three in the morning to threaten him. Uh, So I didn't want any of that but I did love the idea of a contest. So mine is a, a contest hidden somewhere in the introduction, which is online, no purchase necessary. Uh, and Cause I don't want to get in trouble. And then, uh, but you, uh, in the introduction, it has a secret passcode. If you put that into a website, the puzzlerbook.com, it will open up to this amazing uh, sort of puzzle hunt that you have to do. And the first to, To finish wins ten thousand real dollars, like actual American dollars.
0: That's now that is. If I've never thought of a, but that's the best. I thought the NFT thing that Gary V did (laughs) was clever. This is clever. Uh, Thank you. Because the 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 super core audience of puzzlers are going to jump at this, and I really hope you do. That's the coolest thing ever. Here are some takeaways I want to talk about. What with the time we have left, one is. Uh, and we've already talked about this a bit, but I'd like to put a pin in it. The You talk about one of the big takeaways is discovering and making use of something you call just the puzzle mindset. What's that?
1: Right. It is a mindset of deep and endless curiosity about everything in the world, from politics to family. And it's it's very similar to your book uh all of that is the way to resolve conflict that is the way to change your mind is to be endlessly curious and to be in this i might be jumping the gun this might be another one of the takeaways you're going to mention but the enemy of this is to be locked into a hypothesis and be and stop with being curious and just looking to confirm that hypothesis and we talk about that you know confirmation bias but the new word i learned which you might already have known was apophenia i did not know it but i love this
0: word i have a, i have a chapter called apophenia in my my first book but please go ahead ah very
1: good i i should have known that but yes it's finding patterns where there are none finding the face of the virgin mary on french toast and the interesting part is finding patterns is uh, that's the secret to puzzles you have, that's the secret to science, to life. You've always got to find patterns because that's how you recognize what, what's going to happen. The problem is apophenia is the downside of that, where you find a pattern and you decide it's the right one and reject all evidence to the contrary. And that is, I saw this in the puzzle world. It's the dark side of puzzles. Some people in cryptos, uh, for instance, they're so locked into Oh, it's Drew, the runes from the Druids, and they refuse to budge, even though all evidence uh and th- basically that's QAnon. QAnon is a yeah. puzzle gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Like these people have decided they've seen all these pieces of of the puzzle. And they saw the democratic uh people ordering pizza, and they've, oh, obviously, they're a cult of. Cannibals and pedophiles. Yeah,
0: it's a it's very dangerous uh, when you get locked into you know pattern recognition is our great gift, but it's also very dangerous when you don't. We had to invent the scientific method to get us out of this, which is you know you should also have a null hypothesis and gather evidence for both, and which and then all, maybe even generate 20, 30 hypotheses and gather evidence for all of them and start letting them fight each other out for which one is getting more evidence than the other, and that. It's the only way out of this. It's a pretty useful tool when we aren't, uh, you know, searching for QAnon stuff, but it's very dangerous whenever we uh, get into what they call that conspiratorial loop where all evidence against your hypothesis is clearly that was somebody in the conspiracy trying to throw you off the trail. And any, um, any missing evidence, well, that's something that's part of the cover up. And once you're in that loop, it's very difficult to get bounced out of it so
1: interesting yeah so disturbing <laughs>
0: yes it is <laughs> do crosswords instead please <laughs> that being said you say one of your big takeaways was that puzzles can unite humanity and you say i saw it happen and there's research on this from social scientists okay that's the good stuff tell me about that
1: yes i mean i don't think it single-handedly will do it but it is a real tool first of all what we already talked about when you are having an argument, don't frame it as an argument, as a debate of war, frame it as a puzzle. So in that sense, but puzzles literally, I think, are one way to unite people across the political spectrum. And you might, you probably even had him on the show before Cass Sunstein, who's a great thinker and um, uh, law professor, behavioral economist. He did a, a study where he took people from all across the political spectrum and uh, he tried to figure out ways that he could unite them. And one of the only ways that worked was that they all did a crossword puzzle together mm. because it is this idea of a shared goal. Uh, and instead of, you know, it's not a zero sum game. It is you're both working towards getting to solving this puzzle.
0: Yeah. One of the landmark studies in, in like what we today are calling tribalism is the, um, the robber's cave experiment where they mm. sort of recreated lore of the flies. Um, I love that one. The, what we often isn't mentioned when this is written about, uh, because it's not fun to then destroy your own argument at the end of your article is that <laughs> the, <laughs> they, uh, an added experiment that the Sharif and, 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 uh, the, uh, the other scientists involved in that did, they um, they pretended like the, the, the bus that was going to take the kids away had broken down and they needed everybody's help to figure out what was wrong with it. And that was how they united the groups back together again was giving them a, a problem to work on together.
1: Yeah, and I love that. I didn't know that, that that's the part that I focus on because when my kids were reading Lord of the Flies last year, I was really. I said, "Don't take this as gospel. This is just one author's dark opinion of humanity." And if they, had, yeah, if they had had a crossword puzzle or Sudoku on that <laughs> yeah, island, they, they would have been fine. Yeah, <laughs> they would. If they had, uh, what's it called again? The uh, the witness.
0: Yeah, they would have all been happy. Uh, uh, let's let me end on this. This this um, we already talked about it, but I I do love the way you created a game to illustrate this learning to live with puzzles that will never be solved and toler- not just tolerating, but enjoying the, the uncertainty and admitting to that existentially of, of the vast amount of ignorance and uncertainty that uh, we are gifted to behold as sentient beings attempting to make sense of anything. Tell me about that as your, as your big takeaway. Yes,
1: that is. And, and I love that you're uh, of the same mind on this. Is that we need to become a lot more uh used to uncertainty and probabilistic thinking, Bayesian thinking, like you say. Uh and I adopt that in my life. So I adopt that in puzzles. So I'll I love a pencil. There are some people who fill uh crosswords in and pen, and they sort of they have got a macho swagger, like, ah yeah, I'm all about the pen. Forget that. I am all about the pencil. The eraser is one of the greatest things because everything should be probabilistic. You can't become attached to it. So I, the worst uh, crossword solving is when I say this is the word and I refuse to change it. So, um, but yeah, that's the idea: is being okay with saying I think this is it, but I'm uncertain. And I I do that in my life. I will say my wife will say, what time are you going to get home? And I'll say, oh, I there's a 60% chance I'll be home by five <laughs> o'clock. And then, you know, third. So it's, you know, she may roll her eyes. But I do think we need that kind of uncertain thinking that the the humility and being okay with not having black and white answers. And it's kind of it's funny because in one sense, puzzles are all about finding that correct answer. But to get to that correct answer, you have to have embrace the uncertainty and be okay with
0: not knowing. Perfect. You've done it again, A. G. Jacobs. <laughs> this, the, what a cool book. Like uh I, I went into it going, this is gonna be fun. Uh I didn't expect that there would be the added uh value of, oh, there are also games in it. Oh wait, there's also an existential lesson in it. Oh. I could also possibly win $10,000. So <laughs> great work. I love it. Thank you so much for all of your time. It is an absolute pleasure to spend any time with you talking about anything. I'm happy to nerd out with you on anything ever. Thank you so much for, the, for writing this book, and I look forward to the next thing you get obsessed with. Well,
1: thank you, David. It has been an honor. And I was particularly honored to blurb your book. So
0: it's right there. On the, it, it is printed on the cover. It is part oh, of its. That's
1: it's fantastic. <laughs> I hope that our books are paired on Amazon. That would be a true honor for me. Like, me, you know, me they as say, well. if you like this, then buy David's
0: book. I agree. I hope you buy them as a pair if anyone's thinking about buying these. AJ Jacobs, thank you so much. It's been a super pleasure.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, David.
0: You can follow AJ Jacobs at AJ Jacobs on Twitter. And his website is AJJacobs.com. That's pretty easy. This is the in credits of this episode. That's it for this episode of the You're Not So Smart podcast. For links to all the stuff we talked about, go to you're not so smart.com also in the show notes for this episode is a link to go pre-order how minds change comes out june 21st 2022 it is just about the most amazing thing to know that it's about to happen it's about to come out i'm about to share it with all of you i'm very happy for everyone to get a chance to read it it's been quite a journey what else are we going to talk about before i head out of here oh yes for all the past episodes go to stitcher soundcloud itunes omni spotify OurYouAreNotSoSmart.com. you are not so smart.com follow me on twitter at david mcgraney follow the show at NotSmartBlog on facebook it's not a group it's just a facebook page go to facebook slash you are not so smart and you can go to youtube you can go to the you're not so smart youtube page which i don't keep up but i will I'm about to really put a bunch of stuff on there for an explainer video about uh, how minds change about three and a half minutes long if you'd like to support this entire operation. Help make it better, help pay for transcription, and get some extra stuff about how minds change. Just go to patreon.com slash smart. Pitching in at any amount will get you the show ad-free. But at the higher amounts, you get posters and t-shirts and signed books and all sorts of other stuff. The opening music is Clash by Caravan Palace. This music is by Banjo-pocalypse. The interstitial music is by all sorts of people. This time, it was by Incompatech. Okay, that's it check back in about two weeks for a fresh new episode actually i think i will put up an episode just one week after this one because i have one the tom stafford that i really want you to hear all right i'll see you next time thanks so much